Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The portion of God's Word that we will consider this morning is our Gospel reading for today from Luke chapter 3. Please rise as we hear the first three verses of this text. So John kept saying to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, You offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore produce fruits in keeping with repentance. Do not even think of saying to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, because I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe is ready to strike at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus far the text. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words. Make us holy through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. What does it take to get a good crop of fruit? Well, fruit farmers will tell you that there are a lot of different things involved, some of them beyond their control, like the weather. But there's also things like the type of soil that you're trying to grow in, the amount of rainfall, snowfall, if there are harsh frosts, etc., etc. But farmers also have certain skills that they need to make use of in order to produce a good crop. Sometimes it's a matter of when do you prune? When's the best time to prune to get better crops? When's the best time to fertilize to get good crops? If a farmer really knows what he's doing, chances are he'll be able to produce a good crop. Now, of course, the season makes a big difference when it comes to growing fruit. What fruit growing season are we in right now? Well, I can't think of anything that we're trying to grow at this time because it's just not the time to grow fruit. It's winter. But if we think about the church year, if we think about what season we're in of the church year, we're in the season of Advent. And during this time of Advent, we're thinking about Christ's coming and being ready for him to come again. John the baptizer's message revolved around that, that theme of preparation, and he emphasized the message of repentance. Before the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, John told the people that, he need, that they needed to be ready, that they needed to be ready for Jesus to come. And his message can also apply to us today as we think about producing fruit, that same message of preparation. Today, really, we're going to summarize his message down to this. Be a fruitful tree. Now, you might be able to guess what the first step is when it comes to being a fruitful tree. Considering the church season that we're in, you need to repent of your sins. Look how seriously John makes the point. He says, even now the axe is ready to strike at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, this is not something that we want to happen to us. John is talking about being cut down and thrown into the eternal fire of hell, where there is everlasting pain and punishment. 
And the only way to avoid that pain and punishment is to repent. Now that might sound pretty easy, right? For most of the worship services that we have here at Bethany, what's one of the first things that we do in our service? Well, we go through the confession and absolution. In that confession, we're repenting of our sins. We're telling God how sorry we are for our sins. Think again about what we said this morning. We have strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed the devices and desires of our hearts. We have offended against your holy law. We have done those things which we should not have done, and we have not done those things which we should have done. Powerful words, right? And forgive me if I sound like I'm questioning your sincerity, but did you really mean it? When you said those words, were you shaken to the core? Were you thinking about how serious your sins were? Or, as it's easy to do when you're saying something that you've said a number of times, were you just letting your mind wander off to somewhere else? It's pretty easy to do and not be intentional with your words. And what about when you repent of your sins at other times, during the week, every day? Do you just mouth the words, oh, God, I'm sorry for this sin or that sin, without really thinking about it? Or do you really let those those thoughts, those words sink into your bones and you shudder at the thought of being cut down and tossed into hell. Now only you can answer those questions about the seriousness of your repentance. The Bible doesn't give us any kind of a measuring gauge to show, well, here's how serious your repentance has to be. We also know that in addition to being serious about our repentance, We also can't just figure that since we're God's children, we don't need to repent. That's what some of those who were coming out to John were probably thinking. He said, do not even think of saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. That is, some of the Jews may have figured that everything was good between them and God because they were part of God's chosen people. They were part of Israel. They didn't need to repent Why should we repent? We're on good terms with God. Maybe we start to lean in that direction as we think about our status. I mean, we're Lutherans, right? We have the right doctrine. We have the right practice. Why should we be all that concerned with with repenting? God is already on our side. No, we need to repent. We need to repent Every day. Every day we need to go back to our baptism. Luther said in his small catechism, one of the things he said about baptism was this. What does baptizing with water mean? Baptism means that the old Adam in us should be drowned by daily contrition and repentance. And that all its evil deeds and desires be put to death. Daily. Repent of your sins. Daily. Be a fruitful tree. But we don't stop with repentance. Luther went on about baptism. It also means that a new person should daily arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. So to be a fruitful tree, yes, repent, but also then live as a forgiven child of God. 
That's one thing that we definitely don't want to forget, that we are forgiven of our sins. The Apostle John wrote in his first letter that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we know exactly why he forgives our sins, because Jesus took the punishment we deserved. When Jesus went to the cross, he took that penalty of hell that we were supposed to suffer. And he took that on himself so that we don't have to. And then we have received his forgiveness, the forgiveness he won by his death on the cross. We receive that forgiveness through his word, through his word of absolution, through baptism, through the supper. We are his children. And because Jesus took our punishment, we are his forgiven children. When the people coming to John the baptizer asked, what should we do then? They were looking for some sort of direction. They had repented of their sins. They wanted to know, what now? What are we supposed to do? And so John gave them some very practical ways to show that they had repented, to show their fruitfulness. He said, whoever has two shirts should share with the person who has none, and whoever has food should do the same. Now, these are opportunities that could arise at any time. And they're not the only ways that, that we could be showing care and love for our neighbor. But these are opportunities to show that we've repented of our sins of greed and selfishness, of not caring for our neighbor. And again, it's not the only ways to show we've repented, but these are possibilities. And then specific people, tax collectors, soldiers, were coming to John and asking that same question. And John gives them very specific directions, very specific guidance on what they were supposed to be doing then as forgiven children of God. And we could all come up with some very specific examples in our own lives. Really, all we have to do is compare our lives to the Ten Commandments, to God's law, because in those commandments, he tells us how we're supposed to live. Yes, we look at those commandments and we know that we've sinned because we know that, that we've broken those commandments day after day. But this is not what changes our hearts. It's not what changes us to doing the things that the commandments tell us to do. What does cause us to change our behavior is viewing the commandments in this way. We look at the commandments and we say, since I am a child of God, this is what I do. Not, if I'm going to be a child of God, well, this is what it takes. You see the difference? Let's think about the third commandment as an example. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God, that we do not despise preaching at his word, but regard it as holy and gladly hear and learn it. So why do we live that commandment every day? Is it because we look at Jesus and figure, well, this is what Jesus would do, so I should do the same thing? Or is it because we look at what Jesus has done for us, that he has freed us, from the sin of neglecting God's word, and we say, yes, he has made us his children, and we say, I am a child of God, and so this is what I want to do. 
I want to study his word. When we do this, when our thinking is changed, it, it's changed from how do I become a child of God or how do I make God happy with me? It's changed to I am a child of God. Thank you, God, for telling me how you want me to live. And then we're on our way to producing good fruit. Now, granted, we don't have instructions from God about every single aspect of our lives. We can't look at the Bible as some sort of an instruction manual that, that tells us specifically every, sing, every single thing that we're supposed to do every day of our lives. There's not some master to-do list of all the things that line out for us, what we're to do. It would be much easier if we had those things to be a fruitful tree. But we do have the general guidelines that we need. How are we supposed to treat our neighbor, for example? Well, if that person is someone who's in authority, well, we give them honor. Fourth commandment. We act kindly toward them and we help them in every bodily need. Fifth commandment. We don't try to take things away from them, but we help them to try to keep what they have. Seventh commandment. We speak well of them. And we take their words and actions in the kindest possible way. Eighth commandment. We could keep going through all of the commandments, all of God's laws, and see the same thing. He tells us how he wants us to live. And that way of thinking actually ties in very well with the final thing that we need to keep in mind about being a fruitful tree. Yes, we repent. Yes, we live as a child of God, a forgiven child of God. But we also give God all the credit. Look at John the baptizer as an example. Here he was, a man whose coming was prophesied in the Old Testament. His birth was specifically announced by an angel. His work was to go and prepare the way for the Savior of the world. And what did John think of himself? He said about Jesus, I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He was saying that he wasn't worthy to do the most menial task for Jesus. Jesus was that much greater than he was. We might, just start to, we might start to think a little bit too highly of ourselves also when it comes to this whole concept of repentance and faith. We tend to think highly of ourselves anyway. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, when it comes to all things connected to our faith, well, maybe we get a little too full of ourselves. After all, who is it that repents of our sins? Who is it that, that turns from our sins and turns to God? Who is it that, that does all the work of believing in Jesus as our Savior? Who is it that so dutifully listens to God telling us how to live our lives so that we continue to be a fruitful tree? Now, hopefully you see all of the holes in that line of thinking. When it comes to our eternal salvation and everything and anything connected to it, God is the one who gets all the credit. We get no credit. God gets it all. Repentance, it's God's law that's the axe that's laid at our roots, showing us our sins so clearly that we have no choice but to admit that we're guilty. Turning from our sins and turning to God to listen to him. Again, we avoid the acts when we're shown by God 
how to avoid getting chopped down by turning toward his voice that is offering forgiveness and freedom. Believing in Jesus as our Savior? Well, how can we get credit for that? It's a gift of God. And if we do anything that makes us worthy or we think makes us worthy of that gift, it's no longer a gift. How can we get credit for producing fruit for God? Jesus tells us in John 15 that he is the vine and that we are connected to him. He is the one who gives us what we need to be able to produce fruit for him. So instead of taking credit when we shouldn't, we stand back in awe of what God has done for us. And we praise him for it. Did we sacrifice our child? Did we pay for the sins of the entire world? Of course not. And that's why we give God all of the glory for his work of saving us and for causing us then to show his salvation in our lives. We produce fruit only because of him. But what's all of this have to do with Advent? It has to do with being ready, being prepared. When Jesus comes back at his second Advent, what will he find? No, we don't have to be living perfect lives when he comes back. We simply are going to have the fruit that we have produced in our lives, fruit that we have produced because of him working in us. Continue to repent then and live accordingly. Continue to listen to that good news and let it motivate you to live as God's children, to be a fruitful tree. Amen.